So today we will talk to Dan. Hi, Dan. Hi. Dan is a software engineer at Cognitect and also a maintainer of Pedestal. And this episode will be mainly focused about Pedestal and maybe why you should consider using it and contributing to it. So Dan, uh, where should we start? Uh, so first I'll start that um, I've been with Cognitech for um, officially about a year now, and I took over maintenance responsibilities for Pedestal uh, around that time. Uh, just I want to give a shout out to those who came before me and actually built Pedestal and added a whole slew of capabilities, specifically to Newwald, uh, Paul DeGrandis, Ryan Neufeld. Uh, they, they really did um, all of the work here. I'm simply just shepherding the project along. Um, what, what we can start with is the overall uh, architecture of Pedestal, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. So what do we have there? What kind of pieces does Pedestal contain? So Pedestal comes with a number of different of libraries, and wh what it really is is a collection of libraries for building services, primarily web services. So you have libraries for routing, uh, interceptor processing, logging, building services, and underlying interceptor provider specific implementations. So there's a lot of uh, this interceptor word in the pedestal. Yes. And I think it's a, one of the major architectural concepts in pedestal. Yeah, absolutely. So interceptors are akin to middleware um, in, in the ring world. Uh, they differ from middlewares because uh, whereas middlewares wrap processing and you have a collection of higher order functions that wrap other, other functions and they either process requests or responses, interceptors uh, provide a decoupled way of, of introducing processing steps. Uh, each interceptor can be described as a map, but what defines what an interceptor, what is an interceptor is adherence to uh, the protocol into interceptor. Uh, what is expected to for, for an interceptor to have is an implementation for uh, one of three, or more than that, at least one of three different processing stages. Uh, there's an okay. enter stage, a leave stage, and an error stage. So each interceptor would have, well, this would be a map, and we would need to have at least one of these three, enter, leave, or error. Uh, yes. Now, what we normally do is describe them as maps, but it is idiomatic in when you're defining an interceptor to use the uh, into interceptor um, function, which basically takes your representation of an interceptor and it returns an uh, interceptor record. And that's important when we start talking about um, how interceptors get uh, uh, enqueued dynamically during processing, and we'll get into that. Um, but when you're specifying a route and you're declaring your interceptors, you can just describe them as maps. But you have to be aware that you can't d describe interceptors as a map and just like enqueue a map uh, in all cases because uh, you're going to run into some errors at runtime. Um, but that's skipping ahead, right? That's that's getting mm -hmm. into okay. more uh, advanced topics. For the purposes of, of where we are now in this conversation, you can say that, yeah, you can describe them as a map and then interceptor is going to have a name uh, that'll identify it. Mm -hmm. It'll implement one or more of those different processing stages. And what you'll do within your, your application is you'll essentially define the collection of interceptors that are going to be responsible for processing uh, input, which is, if we're talking about a, a web-based service, a request. Right. Mm -hmm. So what interceptors provide is then the processing of these requests. And again, it's in stages, so each interceptor will ex be executed first 
if it has an enter, if it has an enter stage implementation, mm -hmm. that'll be executed. And we'll go from one interceptor to the next. Um, every At every stage, what an interceptor is expected to return is what's called a context object. So the question is, what is a what is the context? What is this context? Right. It, it's a context map, right? Um, you can think of the context map as essentially your process, your, your processing context. That map contains the processing directives like the interceptor queue that is currently being executed. And that's an important point because every interceptor has the capability of inspecting that interceptor queue and you can see what interceptors are coming ahead. And this is a capability that you don't have when you're using ring middlewares that are just wrapping. There is no knowledge that that's available to a particular middleware implementation about what wrapped it or, or what will be called next. Right. This is what I wanted to ask. Yeah. How do we know what's the order of these interceptors? Yeah. So when you define your interceptors, you, you typically use a vector, right? So interceptors are going to be ordered and internally they're in, they're in queued and that queue is ordered. And what you'll have is the next interceptor is going to be popped off the queue and it's going to be put back on at the tail of the queue, right? In order to support leave processing. So internally, the machinery handles that for you, but your definition of your interceptor chain is what it, is the term that's used is simply just a vector with the, the each of these interceptors uh, that, that you want to have um, uh, processing your requests or responses or errors, right? Uh, you, can, you can create that interceptor chain uh, at application initialization, you can do it dynamically, uh, you can do it conditionally based on whatever your, 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 your needs are. Um, the idea is that once you start your service and you, initial, you initiate execution, you can still, well, although it's set, these are the interceptors that are going to be executed, you can still have control of what actually does get executed through an interceptor. So you can uh, replace the interceptor queue if you wanted to within an interceptor. So you have full control about, as to how the system processes incoming requests. Uh, to be honest, that dynamic in queuing and removal of interceptors is not something I do frequently, but it is a capability that you have, which differentiates Pedestal from a more traditional ring-based uh, application. Now, mm -hmm. going back to the context Objects. So I stated that you have these processing directives that are there uh, in the context map. One of the items on that map is going to be a terminator predicate. So at what point do we want to terminate processing and then execute the leave stage of all of the interceptors, right? And that in, in a web service implementation is going to be whether there's a response or not on the context. So that context map when it processing starts in a web-based uh, implementation, it will have a request, and you, mm -hmm. the, the each interceptor has access not just to that request, but to any uh, any other information that's on that context. And any interceptor has the capability of putting a response on the context map. Now, within Pedestal, it is idiomatic to use as your final interceptor a function, which is your handler. Right, uh, and that also a function. The function implements the into interceptor protocol, 
And what that does is essentially just whatever you return, it will be, it's expected to be a response that is associated to the context object as, as the response. That triggers termination and leads to a response uh, being returned to your interceptor chain provider and subsequently the, the user or the client of the system, mm-hmm. the service. Right. Could we, could we draw some kind of an example here for just to visualize all of this, what we discussed? For example, I'm on a website and I don't know, I, let's say I want to upload a file. What, what would be the interceptor chain for something like this? So Pedestal is going to have a, a set of default interceptors that are be registered. There's going to be first your interceptor chain provider, which is going to map. Let's say we're talking about like a Jetty uh, service that's running. It, your interceptor chain, chain provider is going to map your servlet request to a ring-like request. It's going to create a context object and it's going to invoke the interceptor chain execute method. And what that does is it takes your interceptor chain and it takes the initial context objects and it begins execution. So if you're uploading a file, there may be an interceptor there that interacts with storage or if you're pushing, if the data is going to S3, it could be remote storage, Mm -hmm. something like that. You would implement that capability, for example, in that way. Once that processing is complete, you would put some indication of, of, um, you could put some indication of success or failure on the context. Mm -hmm. And your, your, your handler implementation would be responsible for um, returning a result. Now, the key thing here is how, do, how, does, how does the particular interceptor for handling that request map to whatever path you used, you know, your API endpoint, for example, you used for uploading this file? That's done via routing, mm-hmm. right? So Pedestal mm-hmm. provides a routing library, uh, which provides multiple strategies for forming a routing. So that's basically just mapping you know, paths to uh, interceptors. Right. Uh, the, the way that that's actually implemented is as an interceptor. So your routes, uh, your routing is implemented as an interceptor and a specific route that is matched, that is matched is going to have its own set of interceptors that can be executed. And you actually define that on in, in your mm-hmm. pedestal service. So it was within that route specific interceptor chain, which you would put your interceptor, for example, for a file upload, right? There, there's going to be interceptors for body param parsing. So this is a multi-part request. There's built-in support for handling that, right? And you can, you can tailor it as you need it because it is a configurable interceptor, but there's an interceptor for, for, for dealing with that, right? So that would come before your specific interceptor for actually performing the upload. First, you need to parse the request, right? So there are interceptors that would come before that for parsing, taking that that body, which is going to be some sort of bio stream, and making it available to uh, downstream interceptors for, for further processing. So what you don't want to do with Pedestal is mm-hmm. put all of your implementation in your response handling function. And that's something that's done very... In, it's very common to see that in, in services. What you want to do is decouple your implementation across interceptors and leave your response handler to focus primarily on returning a response, right? So mm-hmm. each intercept you add is focused on a particular type of, of processing and it can enrich 
the context with its results, um, or it can alternatively throw, right? Executing error handling. Uh, but your response is basically your response handler, uh, that terminal function that's in your, your route specific interceptor chain is going to be responsible for taking all of this information about processing and, and converting that into a response that's returned. So just talking about the file upload, if you would be expanding the functionality of this file upload, and let's say we need to do like a validation of, I don't know, the size of the image or file we want to upload, this would be also like one interceptor that will do the job for us? Yeah, that's, a, that's, that's common. You can, do, you can do validation in that way. For example, if you needed to interact with a third party, like a, a database or something to get information right. to enrich uh, the, the data that you're going to be working with, you would do that through, you would, you would bring in that dependency through an interceptor. So let's say we were working with a, a Postgres database or a Datomic database, you know, whatever it is, you would either put a connection object or your connection in, in, in the case of Datomic and DB, you could put that on the context, but there would be an interceptor mm -hmm. that's responsible for that. Up front, you can have validation that's done as well. So decomposing things across interceptors is useful, uh, beneficial. It, it mm -hmm. leads to smaller units of code that are focused on a specific task. And, and they can not only, each interceptor can not only enrich uh, the context map, right? They can add information to that, but they're free to add information to the underlying request, which is part of the context. And, and that's important. That aspect is important because when you get to your terminal handler, which is a function, it only has knowledge of the request object. So it's very common for interceptors to associate in to the request, you know, so that the, the response handler can then use that information to determine, okay, here's the type of response that should be constructed. Mm -hmm. So just uh, trying to wrap this uh, around. So we use the interceptors not only to handle all of the things, but also to enrich the information that uh, the response map or determination, determinating uh, context map, if I could call it this way, uh, would have to do any additional operations inside our application. Yeah, so interceptors are about um, breaking down, just to, to clarify, they're about breaking down processing steps, providing um, mm -hmm. flexibility in, in processing steps so they can be conditionally done. So there mm -hmm. could be branches in your code where you say, oh, if I hit this particular condition, I actually want to enqueue these other processing steps. And the way you do that is you enqueue other interceptors. And that's going to be on a per request basis, right? So you have a lot of flexibility. Um, what those interceptors do is up to your uh, particular application needs. But it, the key is that it's not statically defined. And if you go back to the, the ring middleware comparison, you you have that situation with, with middlewares. They're statically defined at start time. Or at least you, you'd have to go through a different set of um, uh, uh, hoops in order to make them more dynamic, right? Um, so... In the end, each interceptor defines some sort of processing step, and it's, it's going to be stage specific. It's very clear when that processing step is going to be executed. It's going to be on enter, on leave, when leave is when a response is coming back, right? It's going back out. Uh, and there's also the opportunity to define uh, error handlers. And what's, what's 
what's interesting about the air handling aspect of interceptors is you have the cap- you, you have the, the, the capability to have your air handlers tailored to not just the type of exception that's thrown, but the interceptor and stage that the error occurred, right? So you can tailor your handlers, your error handling to be very, very specific if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else we want to touch base on the interceptors here? Well, so so that's just about interceptors, right? Um, but how does this all get uh, stitched together? Uh, so with there, with with pedestal, there's this concept of an interceptor chain provider, and that's mm-hmm. that concept really came in, into existence a little bit later on in pedestal's life cycle because it was primarily focused on uh, servlet based uh, systems, right? There was no need to actually restrict it to those. It's just that was by design. That was the initial implementation. If you look at the initial implementation of pedestal, there's a clear, a pretty clear separation between servlet specific glue. Right. And the execution of request processing. And what you can actually do is implement your own variation of that glue, depending on what your system, what your input system is, your platform uh, that you're running on is. And we actually have a number of those uh, situations that have been realized. We've come up with different what we call interceptor chain providers for for hosting Mm -hmm. pedestal on different platforms. Really all, again, all that interceptor chain provider concept is, is my platform understands a particular type of representation for input a request. I need to convert that to a more general request representation, which is the request map that's used internally by Pedestal. And Pedestal is going to return a generic response map data structure. And my my mm-hmm. interceptor chain provider implementation needs to map that to, needs to transform that to what the representation is for a response in my particular platform of interest. So the initial implementation was for servlets, but we have others as well. AWS API Gateway, so you can run Pedestal on Lambda, uh, for example. Mm-hmm. There is uh, an implementation that I had done for uh, Datomic Cloud which is a separate library called uh, uh, Pedestal Ions. Internally, we have an implementation for running, for example, on Kafka, processing Kafka messages. Uh, That isn't something we've released yet, but the idea is to to release that at some point. Um, So you can see that we're not just limited to web-based processing. the, The interceptor model applies to any generic processing that fits, you know, having discrete... Uh, processing stages that are executed on your data. Mm-hmm. I do want to mention one other aspect of interceptors, though, which I left out, which is okay. async async support. So I'm not sure if you're you're aware that that interceptors do have that. Right. So this is uh, server side events and uh, WebSockets. Uh, well, so that ties into it. But with WebSockets and and server side events, you have the ability of of communicating change continuously to your client. To be honest, I haven't leveraged those particular capabilities um, frequently, right? But mm-hmm. more generally with, with interceptors, you have the ability to uh, perform asynchronous uh, processing in order to free up your primary request processing threads, which is important when you're running, for example, like on a, on a, web, a web container where there's a, some finite pool of request processing threads that are available. 
And the way that interceptors implement that is by leveraging core async. So I had mentioned earlier that an interceptor needs to return at any stage that it implements, it needs to return a, a context map. It could enrich that context map, but it needs to return a context map. So that's not entirely true. An interceptor can return a core async channel. And what that triggers within within Pedestal, and, and it, this is the support for this is dependent on whether your platform supports asynchronous processing uh, with the uh, servlet interceptor chain provider that is the case. Uh, that triggers async processing within your your platform, your underlying platform, and internally Pedestal's interceptor implementation will uh, essentially wait for a result, a, a context map to be put onto that channel at a later point in time. So the contract is that once you go async, you return a channel, and then when you're done processing, you put an updated context map on that channel. And then processing of the rest of the remaining interceptors will continue, and they will continue on a separate thread. And this is particularly useful when you talk about uh, processing that requires um, you know, I.O. If you're interacting with a or integrating with a third-party system, a web, web-based system, or you know, even a database, you know, whatever integration you feel is going to require significant I.O. and you're going to be waiting. So also it would be the case if, I don't know, let's say we integrate with a payment service and we just want to, I don't know, Stripe or anything like this, and we just want to wait for the response. Sure. Right. Anything you basically want to uh, push anything that is IO intensive out to a separate mm -hmm. thread for processing uh, as much as possible. Now, one caveat with this is that your response processing that is continued once your interceptor puts a context map back on the channel is done in, in within the context of a goal block in core async. And it's important to recognize mm -hmm. that the underlying thread pool for uh Goal blocks is quite limited. So if there's any other IO related processing that needs to be done, you do want to go async. Um, and typically what what I what I do and what I recommend when going async and doing mm -hmm. any processing requiring IO is to just use a thread versus a, a, a goal block. Um, it's okay, I think, that pedestal uses you know goal blocks for this, but uh, you just need to be cognizant of the fact that you know, any further processing needs to be pretty speedy, right? So if you need to in integrate with something else, again, just return a channel and continue um, processing uh, asynchronously on a, that separate thread. You said you would use, instead of using the Go blog, you would use the thread. And what's the main reason why you would recommend that? So if, if you look at Core Async's internal implementation, there's different thread pools that are used depending on, on how you you create your how you start your asynchronous processing. So if you use mm -hmm. uh, async go, right, a go block, what, what you're going to be using is this uh, smaller thread pool. And it's based on the number of, you can change the size through configuration, but it's based on the number of uh, CPUs that you have running in your system. And it's typically small, uh, that pool, compared to the thread pool that's used by async thread and thread is another function in core async that you can use which will return a channel uh, but it performs processing on a different uh, thread pool and i don't remember the underlying implementation it's like a caching thread pool i don't think there's a max size to it um, but 
it's it's a different thread pool, right? So the idea is when you're particularly, and it's particularly important when you're working with pedestal, when you're processing a large number of requests, you can exhaust theoretically that um, go that the the underlying thread pool that supports async go the go blocks um, mm-hmm. much faster than if you were using thread. You still have finite resources. Right. There's only so many threads mm-hmm. that your your right. underlying system is going to be able to support, uh, but it's significantly more restricted goal blocks versus with thread. So it's an important okay. uh, distinction, and that does come up uh, quite a bit. Okay. So if you would have uh, application that is, as you mentioned, it needs a lot of need to handle a lot of requests, uh, you would definitely encourage people to use threads instead of the goal blocks. Yeah, if they, yeah. If if at any time you want to go async, I would just use async thread. Okay. That would be my my default, unless unless your your async processing is not IO IO bound. Whenever you're IO bound, you want to use async thread. If you're CPU bound, then just use you can use a go block. But that's an important distinction. You just need to know. For example, am I writing to disk? Am I integrating with something over a socket? Whatever. You just need to know what it is that you're doing and then use the appropriate uh, structure to, to mm-hmm. do that work. Where should we go next? So there are other libraries within, within Pedestal. You have routing, mm-hmm. and there's different types of routers that are, are provided. The default router, I think it's a, a map tree router. I actually don't remember offhand, but it's it's highly optimized. And basically, um, it's it's based on map lookups. That router is used by default if you don't leverage path parameters. So, you know, path parameters, like in any framework, you can, you can support right. routes that you can pull right. data off of. If you do have path parameters, then a different router is used. And I forget what the name of that router is, but it's, it's, um, it's fairly optimized as well. Uh, but it is not as performant. And you can actually choose between the routing implementations you use. Uh, The Pedestal I.O. documentation actually goes into this. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's one place where I don't think it's sparse. There's some good information there. Um, I had recently uh, updated that. The the initial routing implementation that was used by Pedestal was linear search. And so clearly, if you have a lot of routes, it's not going to be as performant as the as the other uh, implementations. I, I haven't really experienced systems that have thousands of routes, right? I've I've dealt with systems that have much smaller number of routes. But when you start getting up there with lots of different routes, it really does uh, make a difference. So outside of routing, and again, routing it all boils down to an interceptor, right? Your routes are the last general interceptor that's added to your queue and then within your within your routes there are interceptors that are route specific right mm-hmm. um so aside from routing and, and, and right now routing is closure it's limited to closure there's a de- desire mm-hmm. to leverage routes um it, within closure script but that's not that's not in place yet and it's something that um we do have targeted at some point it's it's a matter of of getting to that uh, mm-hmm. Setting aside routing, we have logging. So there's the pedestal log library, which provides logging support. Uh, within that, you have support for tracing that was added actually recently by Paul. It's one of the last major changes that he had made. So we have distributed tracing support there. It's been extended uh, to AWS X-Ray, 
by Paul as well. So if you're running on AWS, you can leverage AWS X-Ray for, for tracing. Uh, that library is very common. It's very common to see that used within other applications that don't even involve Pedestal. And in fact, uh, I'm on a project right now which doesn't use Pedestal at all, uh, but it, it does leverage uh, Pedestal's logging uh, library. So aside from that, then there are libraries that provide more specific needs, like the Pedestal Service Library brings together all these other libraries that Pedestal offers, log, routing, uh, the Interceptor Library, Jetty or Tomcat support. It'll bring this all together for an individual to create their own Pedestal service, which would be deployed. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no need, there's no requirement to use it. You can stitch this all together on your own if you wanted to, but it is a, is a convenience. And there is also a line template uh, that goes along with that, which is the Pedestal mm -hmm. uh, service template that allows just for an easy way of creating uh, these things. Um, right. So this would be like uh, this would be like line new pedestal service or something like this, right? Absolutely, right. And um, yeah. mm -hmm. what I typically do when I provision a service, I tend to change the. It depends on the system. I may change what that underlying default application looks like, uh, but again, it's mm -hmm. it's context specific. Um, I've had cases where I've used the, the Stuart Sierra's component library with Pedestal. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a, mm -hmm. a template for that. But you know, you can introduce that concept of components and you can componentize your Pedestal service if you wanted to. There, there's other libraries that extend on Pedestal. Uh, aside from that, there's I'm not sure if you're familiar with Vase, uh, which was something that yes, came I out heard of by it. Paul. Yeah, so that 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 library came out of work that was done by Paul on a, a particular project, and it basically defines a way of describing a application, a service through a data, and then uh, takes care of provisioning it and running it. The initial implementation, the the definition was based on a, a, an even data structure. So it's a file that has a map in it and it has you know particular keys. Uh, Michael Nygaard. Uh, actually extended that to work with a configuration uh, framework that he built called Fern, uh, which facilitates how you describe these face services. Because there was there was some there was a I think a general gap in user friendliness when you misconfigured your face service. When it got loaded, it was unclear what the underlying error was. It took some time to figure that out. So Michael mm -hmm. implemented this Fern configuration declarative configuration approach to help deal with that sort of problem. But with Vase, what it does is it marries Datomic and Datomic Cloud now with uh, okay. with Pedestal, right? So it's a very easy way to package those two together and deploy services very quickly. Mm -hmm. So would it be fair to say that the, the Vase service takes the Pedestal service and then package all the other things that you described that we can described by data the i don't know so the the deployment part also and then we package this into one service base service yeah so i guess that it, what is the deployment part it basically allows you to describe in data what your routes are how those routes um transact data query data um primarily focused on datomic but it is an extensible system it's based on tagged literals so there is the opportunity for someone to implement their own tag literals that allow you to use Vase with something other than uh, Datomic. And, and what we're mm -hmm. targeting in the future is making that easier. 
Okay, so with Vase, uh, it's target at your very common CRUD application. So you typically have some entities which you need to update, delete, uh, create, you know, etc. Um, and mm-hmm. and right. instead of having to go through all the boilerplate code to do that, you can essentially describe that in in your configuration. How you package that up is um, up to you. There is the ability to actually take the underlying vase jar and point it at a, at a configuration file and then execute that, right, and come up with a service. Um, but it's more common to have a vase application that contains additional capabilities that are included with mm-hmm. the, that, those CRUD-like uh, 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 operations. So uh, there could be, for example, administrative capabilities that are added onto it, um, or you can have uh, an application that defines additional interceptors that you want to include in your uh, base configuration. These could be around authentication, for example, authorization. Um, so uh, that's a more a more common use case. How you deploy that again is up to you. Whether you deploy this via Docker or onto a web container, web you know container is up to you. So the base is not part of the pedestal. Uh, I don't know, repo or documentation. This is a right. separate it's a, thing. It's a separate library. It came out of work that was done years later after Pedestal was released, and it was done by Paul uh, initially for a particular client engagement. Um, it is under the Cognitech Labs uh, organization on, on GitHub. Okay. Um, I do, I, I would say that this is one of the gaps in the Pedestal documentation. We need to add that uh, uh, to it so people become more aware. Um, one thing that I see that is very common mm-hmm. is individuals become very excited about pedestal and they become excited about the atomic and they, they gravitate towards vase immediately, but they don't really understand the underlying comic concepts of pedestal or datomic and, and they're not really setting themselves up for success there. I, I think it's critical to understand like the foundation of pedestal interceptors, have a grasp of that, and then to really understand atomic, mm-hmm. right? Because that is what base is initially targeting. And once you have that understanding, then you're set up for success for um, leveraging something like base. Okay. Would you recommend any pointers to how to master maybe this first two concepts, like the pedestal and the diatomic first before we go to pedestal? Sure. So I, I've taken a stab at this in the vase readme. Um, pointing to some of the key documentation in Pedestal, as well as pointing to the key documentation with Datomic. Um, I need to revisit that to uh, reference the Datomic Cloud documentation as well, uh, because an upcoming release of Vase is going to actually support that. We already support it on Master. Um, We haven't actually released the the artifact that, that has Datomic Cloud support. So I need to update the documentation to include that. But there is sufficient documentation out there in both places uh, to bring individuals up to speed. Um, I would say that the Datomic documentation is much better than the Pedestal documentation at this point. All right. So what's the story with Datomic Ions? So Datomic Ions is a, a, a way of deploying your code, your application to Datomic Cloud. Uh, so Datomic Cloud is the offering of Datomic running on AWS. It's a service that you can subscribe to. Uh, And an ION, what an ION is, is a application that is running within process 
of your actual datomic cluster. So your application is actually running within process of your database, right? You're bringing your application to your database. So the database is, you can think about your database being in memory, right? It's, you're localized. Uh, your application is localized. Um, so with atomic ions, there is support for running uh, a, what's termed a traditional ion, which is just going to be some sort of process that's, or, or code that's running within process and a web ion. And the web ion is, is, is what I'm particularly interested in, in the context of pedestal because there is a specification. And if you look at the atomic ions documentation for uh, deploying a web uh, application to, to as a atomic ion. Um, and really you're, you, all you need to do is ingest a, a ring like map request map and return a ring like uh, response map. So what, what I did was uh, build a pedestal interceptor chain provider for that. And it is actually, super simple and i think it it really demonstrates how easy it is to create these things um, that is available mm -hmm. as a separate uh, library and it's running um I, I, yeah it's hosted under the pedestal uh organization um and it's at, at its name is pedestal ions um but the the value proposition there with ions is that you can run your code within your database now, when you're running your, your code locally, at least with the pedestal ions library, you have the option to leverage Jetty, for example. And I, I've demonstrated, I'm pretty sure I demonstrated within the sample application for this, how you can run locally with uh, Jetty and then deploy and, and leverage the, so there's the Jetty interceptor chain provider, right? That's what you use locally. But then when you deploy, you use the, uh, Datomic Ion Interceptor Chain Provider. And I think that's pretty powerful, right? It provides a lot of flexibility for local development, right? So you have the flexibility there for, for local development. Um, and Ions provide ease of deployment of your application. There's a, mm -hmm. there's a set of um, operations that you run to deploy that. So let me ask you this. So we have the database in our cluster, and then next to this, we just deploy those ions, and those ions would be, we, each ion would be responsible for a different functionality of our application, or how would that work? Um, so in, in, in the case of um, a web application, it would be the application, right? So uh, you could potentially have multiple uh, services that are deployed. Right, and how you deploy things to your datomic cloud infrastructure is up to you. There's a notion of your compute nodes. There's a notion of uh, query nodes that you can introduce in the production topology. And I won't go into those because, frankly, there are other people who can speak to all of that much more uh, fluently than I can. How this is different than other modes of development is you're actually running this code within process of your of your of your database, which is quite exciting because there's that proximity, right? And that, that proximity is going to translate to um, speed, right? You're right next to your database. And also it, it just eases deployment. What is the deployment story? There is already a deployment story for your, your application. It's defined by, by ions and you just follow what it defines. Okay. So we just stack this just beside our database. Yeah. And this is, mm -hmm. what would be the way that people can contribute 
to pedestal, maybe vase, or even the diatomic ions? So the, the best way that people can contribute to this project right now is by helping out with documentation. Um, it's the, the documentation is hosted on a separate repo, and it's available through pedestal.io. Um, it's still sparse, so there are, areas, there are areas that need to fill, be filled in. There are updates that need to be made there. And as of now, I'm, I'm, that's my primary responsibility, along with pet, maintaining Pedestal, you know, all of its libraries and, and things like Vase and Pedestal Ions, it's maintaining the documentation. So there's a lot of work there to be done. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity for folks to come in and just clarify things. Um, an, another way that people can help is by joining the uh, Closureans Pedestal Slack channel and you know answering questions. And I see folks there that do that, uh, that, that, that do chip in there, and I greatly appreciate it. Um, but again, helping out there, just providing some insights into, into how things work, given that the documentation is sparse, would be beneficial. Um, I'm, I'm less interested right now in actual con code contributions just because we do have that gap in documentation. Uh, would you consider actually the pedestal and the vase like, you know, I mean, it's always hard to say if a library is completed, but I think this has been in the use for such a long time. Uh, do you see any actually mm, missing parts of uh, what pedestal and the vase can do? Uh, from a pedestal perspective, I think it's, it's really about adding closure script support for things like the interceptor uh, library. There's been interest in that um, and adding additional interceptor chain providers. Uh, so, you know, that I think is, are the two major gaps there with vase. I think that the gap is still around usability from a developer perspective, provisioning services and really understanding, you know, what errors there are with my configuration, uh, providing direction on how to extend it and exploring how we can extend VASE to not just Atomic, but other types of stores. Uh, I would say that VASE is less complete than Pedestal. It's There's more rough edges there uh, than with Pedestal, uh, but our goal is to, to improve on that. So yeah, things are never done, right? But I would say Pedestal is more complete and there are less rough edges given the the amount of time it's been around and the number of users uh, that that we've had and we dog food that uh, pedestal quite a bit internally in Cognitech um, on projects vase uh, is less so just because it depends on the client need right so right. yeah cool this has been really great Dan I think we can encourage people to check out all of the websites the repos for pedestal and vase and uh, join the cl cl closure in slack and uh, help out and maybe document this project better because i have a feeling when i came to closure that uh, this project actually solved a lot of the problems that some of the parts of, of community are still solving but i think the documentation boost will definitely help out here so thank you so much for your time no problem thank you for having me if you find this podcast valuable there are many ways you can support it you can review it on iTunes or any other platform you're listening to. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can blog about it, discuss it on your own podcast, and you can support it directly by buying my video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure at my website, jacekshe.com. That's J-A-C-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. 
Thank you for your support of this show.